I'm Richard Dockram, and I'm a writer and consultant trying to make the world better. I run the fundraising and social change agency ChangeStar, and I'm the founder of the not-for-profit Life Squared. In this podcast series, I talk to people who are making the world better, not just those tackling big issues at a global scale, but also those working at a local level or in less obvious areas too, from academia to teaching. The aim is not to explore people's personal stories, as there are plenty of other podcasts that do this. Instead, I want to find out more about the issues that these people are working on, how they approach them, and why they matter. In the end, I want to show the extraordinary range of different ways in which people are trying to make things better. This week, you'll hear the second part of my conversation with Professor Richard Layard, Emeritus Professor of Economics at the London School of Economics. If you've not listened to the first part about his work on the subject of happiness and mental health, check it out after you've listened to this. It's fascinating. Richard is an economist who spent much of his life working on how to reduce unemployment and inequality. In more recent years, though, he's become one of the world's leading figures exploring the science of happiness, as well as how better mental health could improve our social and economic life. He's the author of a number of books, including Happiness, Lessons from a New Science, Thrive, The Power of Psychological Therapy, and his new book, Can We Be Happier, which is out now. He is also the founder of Action for Happiness, a not-for-profit organisation that's inspiring millions of people around the world to live happier lives. In this second of the two episodes that I've recorded with Richard, I talked to him about Action for Happiness, the not-for-profit organisation he co-founded 10 years ago, and which has gone on to help millions of people take action for a kinder and happier world. We discuss what led him to set up Action for Happiness, what it's achieved, and what Richard wants to see it achieving in the future. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and I'll be back with you at the end to reflect on a few things from it. So, Richard, we spoke in the last podcast about your work in public policy, on the science of happiness, and now in this episode we're going to talk a little bit more about Action for Happiness, which you co-founded. So I wonder if we could just start with just a quick explanation of what Action for Happiness does and why you set it up. I think that in, in human history, every value system has been sustained by some organisation of people who meet regularly uh, around those values. The kind of humanist values that uh, we've been talking about, um, I think, uh, are not represented uh, by any such organization um, uh, at the moment. I was a founder member of the Humanist Society uh, in Cambridge, and I was hoping that that would be uh, the kernel of this kind of uh, a sort of new uh, secular uh, religion that sustained people both in their own um, feeling of comfort but also uh, in inspiring them to go out and do uh, great deeds to help others and it was with that in mind that we we felt the gap there uh, needed a new organization and that was was action for happiness so action for happiness is a movement of people committed to creating a happier society all members take a pledge uh, that they will live their lives to try and create as much happiness as they can in the world around them and as little unhappiness. The movement started in 2011 and of course it had to start online. Um, We now have a million followers on Facebook Um, but we always intended that the main reality of it would be face-to-face because we don't feel that um, 
transformational experience um, often happens, so it sometimes does uh, online, but it mainly happens through face-to-face, through regular meetings with people um, who share your values and can meet together with you to be inspired and to support each other. So the way that these groups, we're forming groups all over the world, the way these groups get started is with an eight-week course called Exploring What Matters. This is uh, something that happens for two hours each week for eight weeks. It's volunteer-led. This is very important. And it's, it doesn't require a fee. It, it, it operates through a donation. So we have been able to get in some of the poorest people in Britain into these courses. In fact, the average income on the course is somewhat below the national average. Um, we've got people coming in, many of them from the very uh, low end of, of happiness, uh, but also a disproportionate number with, from the high end of happiness. And it, uh, this combination is a very powerful one when people with such different experience get together on the basis of equality. Uh, this is a, a terrifically um, powerful combination. As I say, the, the meetings on the course are led by volunteers. And that's possible because the materials which the movement provides are very, very detailed and explicit. But of course, at least half the time is is devoted to conversations between members of the group, but around the materials that are provided. We were determined from the beginning to check whether this really made a difference. And we set up a proper random controlled trial where we compared people who took the course. We got got people together and then um, split them into those who were going to take the course and those who were going to not take the course until uh, sometime later. And then we compared the movement of happiness of those who took the course up to two months after the course had ended. Uh, And we were astonished. Uh, I was, I must say, absolutely astonished at the effect on the happiness of the members of the course. It increased by more than a person's happiness increases when they move from unemployment into work or from being single into living with a partner. This is a powerful tool because people have a hunger for some wholesome values that they can share with other people. Uh, and that's what happens in these courses. But the, the, the other point is that, of course, this shouldn't end then. And these groups continue meeting and we supply further material for them to meet, material for each month of the year, and also smaller amounts for each day, so that people can live um, uh, at, at a transformed level um, of well-being. And um, I think that this has proved itself as a model, and we are now getting huge numbers of requests from around the world for support in setting up similar movements in other countries or uh, parts of our movement. Uh, in other countries. So I, I think that this this is already what one could call a success story, uh, but we want many more people to, to be able to benefit from it. So your starting point with Action for Happiness then is this eight-week course. Can you yes. go through perhaps some of the other things that Action for Happiness does? Yes. It, uh, actually, its biggest thing has been producing uh, calendars with an, an action for every day, uh, which have gone viral. this is a thing which probably reached more people um, gone completely viral and um, 
every um, month gets translated into 15 languages by people who just write in and say, can I translate this into my language? So that's a very, a very important example of the, the online materials. We also um, are doing work in companies, providing courses on happiness at work and teaching line managers how to generate a happy atmosphere in their own team. That's been very important. We've also put on some mental health type courses at a sort of subclinical level for people who are at risk of get, getting into clinical anxiety or depression. So we have a range of activities. We are working with, with schools. We produced excellent materials for primary schools. And I think that the, the, the best way to describe what we're trying to do um, is to take the example of uh, Northampton, the county in England, which has taken the, this furthest, which brings all these activities together, including uh, happy cafes, which is another important element of, of what we provide, so that there's a, a, a community of people who, in all kinds of ways, in all their different professions and activities, are practising uh, these principles using our materials and, and coming together in these groups. So is, is, would you say there is a particular approach that you're using to actually disseminate the, the, the advice and ideas of Action for Happiness? Is it about it being embedded in communities so that, that you have in, in networks around you to help reinforce these ideas? What we are, of course, is a network. We are a community uh, of people who share these ideas. And I perhaps should have mentioned that we also have uh, in London, and hopefully soon in other cities, really big mass meetings of 500 or 1,000 people once a month with, with famous international speakers. So it, it's a community of like-minded people who participate in different ways. But uh, I, I want to come back, though, to the central concept, which is the concept of people meeting together regularly in groups, rather like in a, a more religious age, people used to meet together in churches because some of the things that churches did were very valuable, um, but people who can't accept the creed don't have the method of getting the valuable part. The valuable part is gathering together to get a better sense of perspective on what's really important in life, uh, a feeling uh, of connection to the better side of yourself, a feeling of connection to the better side of other people, a feeling that you can go forward and, where possible, this sometimes happens in churches, not always, development of, of friendships with other members of the group which are supportive and, and sustaining. So I, I want to focus on that as the central, central thing that we need to do, which in a sense is not unlike the way churches perform. So churches have these groups that meet regularly. But they also, of course, often run schools. They try to influence businesses. They, they are important local community organizations and so on. That's what I see Action for Happiness doing. Okay. Do you see other ways in the future that Action for Happiness could expand its work? Are there other areas of life and other sort of institutions that it could um, move into? And we haven't done that so far. And I think that there is something to be said. But I don't think that the role of Action for Happiness is primarily to change public policy. I think it needs to be heard. 
members of Action Happens need to be heard very much in public policy debates. But I'm not sure that uh, how far it should get into taking up political positions. It certainly shouldn't get into taking up any kind of party political position. Why do you think it shouldn't get involved in not, not necessarily in party politics, but in actually mobilising essentially a movement of people there? Because in some ways you've got quite a powerful movement potentially of people that could actually try and campaign for some of these changes if they are hitting a brick wall. If you're managing to get changes in, the, in your members' lives, but actually it's hitting a brick wall in wider society, is there not an opportunity to achieve some more leverage there? I think you're making a good point. So I think that you could have, for example, the Action for Happiness School Action Group, which would have its own meetings and produce its own, docu- its own policy documents and push them. You know, ultimately, it would be, be wonderful if we could have Action for Happiness action groups in all fields. Criminal justice is, is one where incredibly necessary, for example. Workplace and so on. Uh, we could certainly do that. Simply a practical issue of, <laughs> with our limited resources, what, mm. what should we be focused on? And we, I think we've made a very clear and correct decision to focus on developing the groups and then the group from the groups can emerge the kind of thing that you're talking about. But I do think it's a very central idea that the prime source of change is in ourselves. We must absolutely hang on to that and not think that the, the world can only be improved by uh, changing what policymakers do. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll ask a question that I asked you about your broader work in the previous podcast, which was, what are the biggest challenges you face at Action for Happiness in doing your work and getting things out there? <laughs> Good question. Money. <laughs> <laughs> That's Money it. is the problem because we have at the moment uh, a minute staff of four uh, we're trying to, to, to service this huge demand. So we've got huge numbers of people who want to take the course. We've got huge numbers of people who want to uh, lead the course. But we want to maintain the quality of the course. And therefore, we have to have a, a system of, of vetting uh, the leaders and then supporting them while they're doing the course. All this requi- requires staff. And I spend a great deal of my time <laughs> trying to raise some money so that we can employ more staff. I think this, this is the central chicken and egg uh, problem for any, any organization at this stage of development. You have to have a minimum number of professional staff. Our belief is that we can, once we've got to a bigger scale, become self-supporting from the donations of the members. Um, but in the process of expansion, we are looking for serious support from foundations and, and other donors. And is it something that trusts and other foundations are open to funding? Because it's a, it's potentially a tricky subject, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've found a similar situation in some of the things that I've been seeking to fund in the similar area, that it's perhaps it's seen slightly differently from other causes. I think there's a problem about the funding of something that is so general and affects every aspect of life. I think most donors find it very much easier to give for something very specific, cystic fibrosis or whatever it is, some very specific problem. But when we're talking about completely changing the priorities of our society, 
which we are, away from this self-oriented, highly competitive society where people are basically judging themselves by their success compared with other people, uh, which is a zero-sum game, to a positive-sum game where uh, our aim is to get as much as possible of our happiness from helping other people. That is, That sounds to many people so general that they can't imagine that they could uh, could give money for it. But of course, in the end, it's the most important thing. I mean, what, what ultimately drives the quality of our lives is, is what our fellow citizens are aiming at. Our lives depend on what the people that we live with are trying to do in their lives. And we need a new culture, and therefore we need a, a huge degree of, of change at the individual level, which of course can come not just by getting people together within an organization like Action of Happiness, but by better values in schools, workplaces, and so on. But I think that to have a really strong organization where people are themselves considering the purpose of their lives and getting more satisfaction out of their lives by finding more purpose, uh, this, this is the, the most important thing that a movement like Action for Happiness can do. Yes, yes. And the final question, where would you like to see the work of Action for Happiness in 10 years' time? Well, I would like it to become a worldwide movement. We already have, uh, we have members in every country, of course, online, but we have groups um, in uh, about 16 countries. I want it to transform, especially in Europe and America, the values of the society towards something which is, is not, by, not God-given, because not enough people believe in God, that, that is uh, based on human values, but felt deeply and sustained by regular meeting. And I don't see why we shouldn't have millions of members. And I gather that you've got uh, a, a new book out at the moment on one of these subjects. Yes. Um, I, I hope this will be a big push for the happiness movement um, because it, it's, it has two features. First, uh, it has a feature of really clarifying what we mean by a happier society and how people would have to behave in a happier society. Um, a serious philosophical uh, discussion. So that's the goal, to clarify the goal. But then most of it is about the evidence on how we can achieve the goal. So some of it is evidence about how we as individuals uh, can behave, including through things like action for happiness. But most of it is about how individual professions, teachers, health service workers, managers, line managers, people who work in the community, people who support families, uh, and then, of course, ourselves, econ the economists, uh, uh, and the politicians and the scientists, how all of these professions could do better to produce a happier society if they use the kind of evidence that I'm providing, most of it experimental. So it's not just pious talk or even what sounds plausible. It's things which have actually been done on an experimental basis and shown to change lives. So it's an evidence-based book it's called uh, can we be happier evidence and ethics and that's what it is in the opposite order first the ethics and then the the evidence and i'm really hoping that that could be a bit of a bestseller that would 
would help lift the happiness movement worldwide. I hope so. Well, go out and buy it, everybody. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. So, that was part two of my chat with Richard Loud. Many thanks to him for giving his time. And do listen to the first part after this if you get the chance. Over the last couple of decades, I've been heavily involved in a similar area to Richard of helping people to challenge the assumptions, ambitions and values that surround us in the modern world and that mould our worldviews. Action for Happiness has been doing a really important job in helping large numbers of people to reflect on these issues in a way that's meaningful to them and that enables them to make real changes to their lives. I would, however, challenge Richard's analysis of what other initiatives and organisations are out there to help people explore the broader questions of life without a religious approach. Perhaps there wasn't much around a decade ago when Action for Happiness founded, but now there are other important initiatives. For example, Humanists UK is successfully reaching out to more people to help them live compassionate and meaningful lives without religion. And the organisation I founded, Life Squared, is helping hundreds of thousands of people to navigate the complexity of life so that they can live in a happier, wiser and more meaningful way. I think these organisations are complementary, not competing, as although there are some areas where their work overlaps in helping people to live fulfilled and compassionate lives, each has quite a distinct set of aims, services and role it aims to play. Richard's work with Action for Happiness has clearly achieved a lot, but there are billions more people whose lives could be improved by this work, so I hope all these organisations, and any others that come on the scene, can work together to help more people build better, more fulfilled lives, as there's a lot more that needs to be done. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please like and subscribe to it, and share it with anybody you know. This is the last episode in this first series of Making the World Better, but we'll be back with some more episodes soon. Subscribe to the podcast to listen to the rest of the series and stay informed of new episodes. Take care and see you soon.